I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. This week, FBI agents conducted a search at the Florida residence of former President Donald Trump. We'll leave it to others to speculate on the justifications, causes, and ramifications of the unprecedented law enforcement action, but should the historical record of the FBI itself provide a cause for increased scrutiny or increased trust in the propriety of the search? Joining me to discuss the FBI's complicated history is my colleague Ken Braun, who recently wrote a history of the G-Men for Influence Watch and CapitalResearch.org. Uh, Ken, welcome back. Hi, good to be back. So let's talk about the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, we all know what it is and in theory what it does, but what are the like sketch cases for and against even having it? Well, I think um, the FBI's history as a rule, I mean, if you're just going to take raw number of cases and, and you know, good versus bad, you'll, you'll definitely come down on the positive side of things. I mean, just going all the way back in their history, they um, did good work to expose Soviet spies and, you know, eventually got around to it, uh, prosecuted the mafia. We can talk about why it took them so long to get around to it. Um, but just judging it on wins and losses is, I think, the wrong way to look at the FBI's history when you're talking about an agency that has immense powers to squash the civil liberties of anybody in its path. They carry guns, they carry badges. It's a really, um, it's it's a potentially very dangerous organization. And um, Chris Rock, a couple of years ago, talking about police malfeasance, made, a, made an interesting joke on this. He said, you know, some jobs, it isn't good enough to be 99% good. Some jobs, everybody got to be good. Like, pilots. We can't let American Airlines say, you know, 99% of our pilots like to land. It's just a few bad apples that like to crash into mountains. Uh, and I think that's the problem with the FBI. They, um, you know, 99% of them land the plane, but that 1% that crashes into mountains has, has been um, more than we should accept. And it's been a pervasive problem in their history. Um, even even up to the present day and in, in, in you know, a couple of decades uh, prior to this. So let's start at the beginning. Where, where does the FBI, when does the FBI get founded? What does it grow out of and why then? Well, uh, yeah, it's a long history. It's more than 100 years old. Uh, starts in 1908. Uh, the agency is being created because uh, Teddy Roosevelt was was looking for a, a national police force. Um, interestingly enough, from the very beginning, there was a great concern on the part of um, the, the members of Congress who were afraid the FBI was going to become a secret police uh, and, and a bunch of, um, you know, they were more worried about czarist Russia at the time, but uh, and, and said, explicitly that there was a worry that this was going to become a secret police and we don't want this here. And they refused to fund it. It was funded kind of surreptitiously through a, a, a budget that the treasury, I think it was the treasury secretary had available to him at the time. And then eventually he went and just kind of told Congress, yeah, yeah, we, we've, we hired a few agents to do these things. And, um, from there, excuse me, department of justice, not treasury. Um, and from there, Eventually, the Congress funds it. Um, 
kind of languishes as a little bit of a of a kind of patronage political politically driven system not a very happy situation until j edgar hoover who had been um one of its earlier uh, hires takes over the agency in 1924 and hoover more or less builds them what we think of today as the modern fbi albeit with a little more power and uh authority for the FBI director than we have today because of some abuses that happened during the Hoover yeah, I was, era. I was, I was going to say Hoover has a really complicated legacy uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of, uh, a lot of people do not like what he did as FBI director. What, what are some of the things that, that he did that, that drew that, that controversy? Definitely a lot of the, well, he was a, he served the intelligence gathering needs of every president that he worked for. Um, and by intelligence gathering, I mean sometimes operating sort of as a spy agency against their political enemies. Um, I forget which, I think it was one of the best and brightest from the Kennedy era um, had a great quote to the effect of that J. Edgar, uh, Lyndon Johnson's biggest problem when he worked for him uh, after he worked for Kennedy, this individual ends up working for uh, for LBJ and says, you know, LB, more or less LBJ had the right instincts and was a good guy, but, you know, he just had this sewer of information running across his desk that J. Edgar Hoover was giving him all the time. I mean, Hoover's, he was... FDR thanked him for for all of these interesting reports you're giving that he was receiving from uh, about you know political rivals of, of FDR. I mean that was the the most abusive thing, which ends up going all the way up into. Um, I mean you can take it all the way up to Watergate. Hoover sort of decided to stop providing this information to Nixon because the courts were getting a little too close to him with his warrantless wiretapping and the like, and Nixon ended up sets up the the uh, White House plumbers to do the work that Hoover was no longer providing him. The plumbers do the Watergate break in, and um, and that's where that history happens. So right. So so where does what is COINTELPRO, and where does it come in in all this? Yeah. So COINTELPRO was a grows out of something that you can I think objectively say was good about the J. Edgar Hoover era. There was a desire to protect the internal security of the United States from leftists, communists, whatever. That was a lifelong obsession of Hoover's, and it was often right on point, um, for certainly when you have, uh, you know, most most dramatically when the Soviet so, Union... So, was Soviet a- intelligence in the United States was a serious problem at when the, it has, the was a serious was problem, it had infiltrated the U.S. government at many levels on the worst case scenario, stole the atomic bomb secrets, gave it to Stalin, which if Stalin hadn't, you know, if it had waited a few years till Stalin had died before the, the Soviets got the bomb, then a less crazy leader would have ended up with it and history could have been very different. Um, uh, so anyway, COINTELPRO grows out of this from a concern of Hoover's that we were getting internal subversion from the new left that was comparable to the to the Soviet threat, and COINTELPRO was a counterintelligence, um, very um, aggressive effort to subvert leftist organizations in this country. Some of the civil rights organizations, 
Uh, they famously, would, Martin Luther King was Martin a target, Luther was King, a yeah. and and yeah, and the Martin Luther King Cointel Pro Project uh, resulted in a letter to King sent with a tape recording of a sexual liaison he was having with someone else, and the letter told him effectively go kill yourself and and remove yourself of all this shame. I mean, it was it was a deli- Cointel. That was a you know it. A rather typical example and an extreme example, I guess I should say, of the efforts they made to destroy these organizations from within using illegal methods that would be more more justified, more used, I should say, on on against foreign enemies on a foreign battlefield to uh, to you know completely destroy them, wreck them. You're not worried about bringing them to, to trial and, and submitting evidence against them, which should be what an investigative agency is about. It was a, it was a military operation, a paramilitary or a counter-military, uh, the counter-espionage. Right, yeah, it, it was, it was, it behaved in an extra constitutional fashion. Certainly. Um, so, and I guess there we get into the, the FBI's sort of interference in politics mm-hmm. uh you know we, we've we've discussed the their targeting of martin luther king uh what what else have they have they done you know de- decades ago not so much the recent stuff um they so one of one of um one of i think an emblematic case of, of why this is a bad thing to be doing the weather underground was a a, a domestic terrorist organization by by any measure. They were setting bombs off at the Pentagon, the Capitol building, courthouses, military installations, all of these things. Um, a, a certain threat to to the stability of the nation and and the lives of, of of Americans. The FBI couldn't get close to the Weather Underground as an as, as investigators they were constantly being thwarted and whatnot so they went after the families they went after the families with warrantless surveillance wiretaps the whole measure um attempting to find the weather underground bombers as a result of this unconstitutional activity the department of justice was unable to prosecute the weather underground members because all of the evidence they had obtained was illegally gotten so all of these folks, such as Bernadine Dorn, Bill Ayers, and and those are the most um, you know representative examples. Those are the two most famous. Yeah, walked free. They they uh, Dorn was given a minor charge that she had to you know a small prison sentence. Lost her law license over it. I, I guess there's some justice in the world, but these these people should should by by any you know if, if these if they go to trial on the actual things that they could have been prosecuted for one can presume they may have spent decades in prison um and they're only the the only people that have definitively been put down as people killed by weather underground bombs were weather underground bombers themselves in an accidental explosion but you know so they blew themselves up they were they were kind of incompetent terrorists but they they wanted to be murderers they wanted to be terrorists and um but for the FBI's botched efforts at A, pursuing them, and B, using um, illegal methods to try and pursue them, they maybe would be in prison today. So that is a complete failure of the FBI on two important levels. Um, and, and, and it was, you know, against an, a, a revolutionary communist uh, 
sell operating as terrorists in this country. So having marked that failure, what are some, I mean, they've had some, some successes in their time. I mean, you mentioned sort of in your introduction that, you know, their win loss record is, is good, even though we should be extremely concerned about the losses. Yes. And so, um, and, and to get back to the prior point about pursuing politics, they did a, they did use some of these vaguely unconstitutionally illegal by, by the standards of court cases afterwards uh, to pursue the communist party uh, in the United States, for example. But on the other hand, the Communist Party in the United States was a, an aiding and abetting in a large measure Soviet espionage for most of its history. And the FBI, as a result of going after the communists, both legitimate means and illegitimate, crushed the Communist Party in this country, <laughs> decapitated the the KGB's effort to do spying, and, and really in the end, the FBI did a fantastic job crippling Soviet espionage, doing their counterintelligence work that they should be doing, and um, and deserve a lot of credit for that. In fact, would would get even more if they hadn't been um, hadn't been pulled the hadn't had the dogs pulled off by uh, FDR um, early in the in the days. I mean, you can you can say they got the bomb earlier. They they stole the atomic bomb secrets sooner than they would have because of FDR's unwillingness to allow the Hoover to, to, to go after the KGB as much as he desired due to the Soviet American alliance during World War II. Yeah, the, the World War II, yeah. World War II alliance yeah. so they, against Nazi Germany. So they definitely get credit for, for doing an important uh, service to the nation there. And I think another one, another um, kind of big historical case, although it comes with a big question or a, a big um, asterisk, is the pursuit and destruction of the uh, Sicilian crime families in the late 70s through early 80s, um, which once they got, they turned their guns on the mafia, the FBI took it apart pretty quickly and for, pretty for, effectively. I, I, I believe you're right that, that Hoover for a long time, simply denied the existence of the mob. Yeah, for a long time, denied the existence of it. His main concern was that his agents were going to get corrupted if they were going after these gangsters who had all of these financial levers to bribe agents and and, and, and whatnot. Um, was somewhat correct in that concern, but that doesn't justify his, his you know, not going after a major internal threat to the nation. Uh, so we left it alone for a long time and kind of got shamed into uh, going after the gangsters because of some um, the precursor to the DEA was doing better work with it. But still, up until his up until the very day the man was carried out feet first from his office, Hoover did not want to go after the FBI, and it wasn't until he dies. You mean the mafia? Go after, go the after mafia. The mob. Yes, he was the FBI. He didn't want to corrupt the FBI by going after the mafia. And it wasn't until after he dies in the early 70s that new leadership eventually cycles into the FBI and takes a good hard look at going after the gangsters and dismantling them. And it doesn't take them, you know, it's, it's, it's less than 10 years afterwards and you're getting um, really serious prosecutions of, of the New York family, family godfathers and all the others. And um, yeah, by the mid eighties, the, the, the mafia, as it had been known for almost a hundred years prior to that, was 
was was a hollow shell of itself after the FBI got done going after it using, let, let's be fair to them this time, almost completely constitutional methods for a change. It was, it, was, it, was, it was impressive work. I think arguably the most impressive 10-year period in the history of the FBI happened beginning maybe five years after Hoover was dead and going for a decade or 12 years after that. So obviously, you know, we, you know, Hoover, Hoover dies in office. Uh, who, how does the FBI succeed him? Uh, and then after that 10 year, the, the sort of the, the, the 10 year period when they're really getting, uh, getting organized crime, where do they go from there? So yeah, they, they, Hoover dies, a gentleman named Mark Felt thought he was going to, he was the number two at the FBI. Uh, Mark Felt thought that he was going to become the, the uh, successor to Hoover. Um, Nixon doesn't trust him. Mark Felt famously becomes deep throat and uh, spills all the FBI's investigative secrets um, on the, on, uh, on, uh, as to what's going on in there, which interestingly enough, something that at least so far hasn't happened is we've gotten no leaks about what's, you know, as a tangent, uh, uh, as to what's going on in the Trump uh, matter. Uh, usually the FBI leaks quite a bit in these high profile investigations. Um, I find that interesting at this point. Um, anyway, um, multiple figures cycle through the FBI after this point. Um, over several years, there's in Watergate alone, I believe there were three different FBI directors, um, starting with Hoover, then the uh, gentleman that replaces Hoover, uh, L. Patrick Gray, gets in um, some trouble over the Watergate matter. Not He isn't prosecuted, but there's there's controversy there. We work our, th- our way through several FBI directors after Nixon falls and up through the Carter administration. Really, it's William Webster uh, during the Reagan era who he was appointed during the Carter or, you know, he's Webster's the guy that takes out the F, you know, puts a focus on the FBI, wipes them out. And, um, you mean the mob, you the, mean mob. the mob <laughs> again, sorry about that. I have to like, edit this through anyway. Yes. <laughs> Webster, Webster points a target on the FBI and, and takes it out pretty the quickly. Mob. The mob. We'll get off the mob. Webster, Webster turns the FBI against the mafia. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so Web- Webster does good work there. The FBI does good work. The The mafia is no more. We get through the Reagan administration. Um, then I'd argue the FBI starts to, you know, loses its glory days, such as they were, and, and you know, it loses its most unambiguous good era. And and lapses back into some troubles in the in the early 1990s, um, mostly focusing around the the hostage rescue team, which has a a an a, a, a real a, it costs the money you know costs the bureau or costs the U.S. government money with a uh, the siege at the uh, Randy Weaver cabin in Idaho, followed shortly thereafter by a, a the conflagration at the Waco compound. In Texas, um, in both instances, the hostage rescue team is severely criticized over its tactics, which are very aggressive. And, uh, you know, in, in the case of the Branch Davidians, you've got an apocalyptic cult that already is 
you know that they believe that they're going to end the the world is coming to an end because this government this hostile government is coming after them and the hostage rescue team does everything it can to feed the, fuel that presumption um ultimately leading in in these apocalyptic cult people lighting their compound on fire and and dying in the blaze with a couple dozen children inside um and in that era in that situation there was a good deal of tension between the negotiators who were trying to end the standoff and the uh, the hostage rescue team commanders who were acting more militaristically. And um, and that criticism led to some reforms at the hostage rescue team. They, they merged the commands of the negotiators and the HRT, um, have kept the HRT out of, out of the headlines in a good way since then. But that really doesn't end the problems with the FBI. They, they since then have had serial instances of falsely accusing um, a number of individuals of being terrorists during the era of terror that uh, ensued shortly afterwards. Um, uh, Richard Jewell, the Olympic Park bomber, was you know really the hero of the Olympic yeah, Park yeah. bombing. The, the, the Olympic Park, the Olympic Park bombing. He find he. No, I like noticed the bomb and then started moving people away and the FBI went after him, even though he, he was innocent. Yes. The, the somewhat Hollywood embellished, but otherwise accurate portrayal in the Clint Eastwood movie, movie Richard Jewell tells the story pretty well. Um, yeah, they, this, this security guard rent a cop in, in the, in the pejorative uh, is the hero of the story and the FBI decides, well, they think that he's the one that planted the bomb, and they engineer this fake interview with him, telling him, yeah, Richard, we're going to do a training video to show first responders how to operate in a situation like this, and they're actually interrogating him. They don't Mirandize him, don't tell him that they're accusing him of the very crime that he attempted, or the the, the very disaster he attempted to prevent, and... Uh, and, and really terrorize this young man and his family there, you know, the media, which had previously behaved as if he was a hero, were now circling outside of his house, acting, you know, doing what the media does in these situations. And yeah, Richard Jewell not only wasn't, was totally innocent of the crime, he was the hero of the situation. And the FBI doesn't catch the actual bomber, Eric Rudolph, until many, many years later. And, uh, you know, how much time spent going after the right guy did, did it cost them in not catching the wrong guy? Unfortunately, this problem repeats itself several times over the next few years um, with, with um, uh, a guy named um, Mayfield, for first names escaping me, and Hatfield. Both of those cases were terrorism cases that um, didn't the FBI was chasing the wrong, the wrong person. And, and both of those latter instances ended up paying multi-million dollar legal settlements to the individuals they were going after when they weren't chasing the real terrorist. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that brings us to, you know, more contemporary problems. Uh, the investigation into Donald Trump's first presidential campaign and the alleged but largely unsubstantiated ties to Russia. Yeah, uh, the the latest uh, false accusation of the FBI is is very recent. Is a gentleman named Carter Page. 
he is the only person who was put under a FISA surveillance warrant in the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. The FISA warrant was obtained through 17 significant errors that the Department of Justice Inspector General identified, not least of which they misrepresented that Carter Page was really an asset for the CIA working to to help them obtain information on Soviet or Soviet on Russian um, intelligence figures. The FBI submits this information to the FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, but doesn't tell the court. They tell the court, oh, he's got all these connections to Russian intelligence. They don't tell him, well, he's doing it on behalf of our guys. Our guys are in the know. <laughs> Right. He's, a, you know, it, it implies that he's a, he's somehow connected to the Russian intelligence rather than connected to American intelligence working to and, and, and pursue. Keeping, and keeping them in uh, the know Russia. about what he's hearing from the from the other guys. Right. And they fail to tell the court this, not just in the first in, in the first request for a, a surveillance warrant, but in three subsequent requests for that warrant. And in the fourth instance, the FBI someone at the FBI said, you know, maybe we should make sure that he's not one of ours. And they go and ask the CIA, is this guy a source? And the CIA says, yes, definitely. He's a source. And an FBI lawyer named Kevin Kleinsmith writes on the document, not a source, and turns it over to the court. I mean, you, you can't, this is portrayed by all of the those um, on the embarrassed end of this as an accident. And I guess we don't have any proof that it isn't an accident, but the only thing we're left with is such boundless incompetence that it's 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 functionally no no different than 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 doing it deliberately. And that's not even the worst of the or not, it arguably is the worst of the two errors in the Carter Page investigation. But the other one was the FBI's reliance on the Steele dossier, the the complete fabulous fabricated um, bad spy story that the FBI was promoting uh, to this court as reliable information, even as another, you know, there are people interviewing the, the primary source for this nonsense are finding out that it's just that nonsense. And the, um, the subsequent investigation by the Department of Justice decided, yeah, this Steele dossier was a, a really big deal, an important thing that allowed them to obtain these warrants. So yeah, two, two complete, you know, inversions of the truth and a complete uh, making up of, of a, a, a made-up story was the basis for the only FISA warrant that the FBI was able to obtain against anybody in Trump world. And once the media got a hold of that, it became, it blew the whole Russia collusion story into another orbit because now you've, you know, oh, the FBI is investigating him. There must be something there. Well, there wasn't anything there, and we probably would have not gone through three years of that nonsense if there is no Carter Page FISA spying and the whole story is contained more to, you know, if the FBI doesn't chase the Steele dossier, if they don't get a FISA warrant against Carter Page, a whole lot of what we talked about for three years is a much smaller, less concerning, and um, less destructive thing that happens to our uh, our politics, and, guess, and it all came about. Can, you know, we can move on. You know, we look back at this hundred some odd year history of the FBI and some of the stuff that it's done. You know, what what can we learn about you know the dangers of 
both the, the, the need for federal law enforcement, but also the dangers that having a federal law enforcement agency like the FBI can, can have? I think the, the need is there simply because we have a federal system that does not allow police to, agencies to chase criminals who are multi-state in nature or multinational in nature. Um, so definitely there is a need for it. And I think the prosecution and, and effective destruction of both the mafia and the, the, the Soviet intelligence shows the value and the need for it. Um, the dangers are, are pretty clear. And I think the politicization of it is, is, has been a pervasive problem. I mean, obviously there are cases where the politicization is sort of clear and obvious, uh, you know, a lot of the COINTELPRO targeting of, of lefties, uh, the, uh, certainly the degree to which the Russia collusion allegations were pursued. Uh, but but even that mm-hmm. that perception of politicization, because it casts a, it casts a shadow over legitimate investigation of anybody who is remotely political. Right. Um, I mean, th- this this content. You know, it, it it'd be easy to say, oh, you know, I think the biggest problem with the Trump Russia thing is that it hasn't been there. There's an entire all of the media and a, or not all you know. Most of the media and half of our political um, establishment believes that this wasn't a problem (laughs) and they're allowing it to. So the FBI agents who were involved in this, James Comey got fired from his job. He's celebrated for it, right? Because Trump fired him and he's still celebrated for it. He wrote this book. It became a big HBO or uh, excuse me, Showtime um, miniseries. The the prosecution of um, Michael Sussman, I believe was his name. The uh, the Perkins Coie lawyer who who the 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 John Durham effort to prosecute this guy, he brought FBI agents on the witness stand who were in some cases acting pretty hostile to his. You know, they they weren't trying to help him make the prosecution. They were more or less dragging their feet and saying, well, this is, you know, not my job to bring this out. I mean, this is insubordination. This should not be allowed. And of course, course he walked. He, He was acquitted. And he did walk, and and he, and he was acquitted. And this is we've got a a very political organization right now. I think James Comey's signature accomplishment was to resurrect Hoover's ghosts. I mean, the worst of Hoover's ghosts, the politicization of the of the agency, and the perception that it is pretty much under the thumb. At least in the Hoover era, it was under the thumb of whatever president was in charge of whatever party at whatever time. Um, the Kennedy administration, I think, being maybe the sign- the single possible exception to that because of Hoover's and Bobby Kennedy hating each other. Um, but obviously, that was only a three-year period. Um, so for a thousand days uh, during the Hoover era, he was he was maybe hostile to the president in charge. Today, we've got an FBI that was hostile to for four years and and to a president and you know who knows where they'll be with the next republican president they are uh they're they're putting their thumb on the scale in an unprecedented way right now well thanks again to my colleague ken braun for joining us you can read his extensive history of the fbi at influencewatch.org or a shorter version of it at capitalresearch.org 
That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. Thank you.